The Spin-Off Podcast Network. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. Inflation comes from all over the place. We know about Vladimir Putin and Grant Robertson and Adrian Orr, but what if there's another source? Robot inflation. Companies that automatically increase their prices just the same as inflation, and in the process, create a nasty little feedback loop. That's this week on When the Facts Change. Kia ora, I'm Bernard Hickey and welcome to When the Facts Change, brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with KiwiBank. KiwiBank is committed to supporting New Zealanders' understanding of the economic issues that are shaping their lives and the future of Aotearoa. And don't forget to subscribe so you get our podcast every week. Inflation. It's all everyone can talk about at the moment in the economy, in business, in our personal lives and in politics. Inflation and the prices of apparently everything right around the world. Inflation of 5 to 6%. And in fact, it's going to hit 7%, say some economists, later this year. And it's not going to get back to, quote, normal until well into next year, possibly even the year after that. So central banks are having to ramp up interest rates and people are blaming others for causing high inflation. It really is the debate of the moment. And you can ask, who is it? Who has caused all this inflation? Is it A, Vladimir Putin? who's pushed up the price of oil with his invasion of Ukraine? Or B, is it Grant Robertson, who has been pumping lots of money into the economy through COVID, and which the opposition says is responsible for some of this inflation? Or is it C, many of these companies who we've talked about before and when the facts change, who have increased their prices, sometimes more than their costs, and therefore increased their profit margins, in part because they are monopolies or duopolies, They've used the inflation sun to make hay as the economy is heated up. Or maybe it's E, all of the above. And certainly the combination of all of these things is driving inflation through. But there is another source, automated inflation. Inflation that actually isn't a deliberate choice to push up prices, but that accidentally on purpose has been hiked up higher than it normally would simply because it's the way that prices change. They are connected to the consumer price index and how that changes over time. And because the rest of the index is rising at a much faster rate, 5 6 7%, what you're seeing is some companies who are putting up their prices, just like they always do, at the same rate as inflation. But in the process, because the rate of inflation is much higher, they are effectively creating a really nasty negative feedback loop. And it's a real problem for the Reserve Bank and for the economy as a whole because it's inflation that's not actually connected much to higher prices. It's just automated, pull the trigger, it's out there. And it's quite a lot. So to give you an idea, the Reserve Bank put out a paper 
about six years ago, which looked at the reasons why businesses put up their prices and how they do it. And what they found was that 10% of businesses actually put up their prices just in line with CPI inflation. Obviously, it's an easy thing to say to your customers, well, I'm doing it just exactly the same as everyone else, the same amount. You're not being punished by me. This is just average inflation. So we're seeing quite a few companies that are doing this now. They're often government, former government operations who have some sort of monopoly or regulated situation. They're often utilities. They're providing a service that no one else can. And they're using assets that were put in the ground or built or paid for years and years, sometimes decades ago. And it's one of the forces driving inflation up at the moment. To give you an example, uh, we have three major wholesale broadband providers in New Zealand. These are the people who own the last mile of copper cable that gives you your internet or that last mile of uh, ultra-fast broadband fibre cable. And they sell packages of broadband to retailers who then pass it on to us, often with a bit of a markup. Well, this year, because they usually put up their prices in line with CPI inflation, this year they're putting it up by 5 or 6%. So companies like Enable in Christchurch or Tuatahi in Hamilton. And uh, we know that Chorus, the biggest provider, is looking at putting up its prices around that level for most of its services. And this is potentially a problem, particularly for the retailers, who in the past have been able to absorb these small price increases, but 6% this time is a lot. And they're now expected to pass that on. You're also seeing it in electricity. In this week's episode of When the Facts Change, I'm going to look at these automated inflation drivers, particularly in telecommunications, electricity, and gas. And then I'm going to put it to Grant Robertson, the finance minister, who's been taking a lot of heat lately about inflation. Now, some of these causes of inflation are from companies that may be government-regulated, or they may actually be government companies or controlled by governments. And this is one of the interesting little quirks of government-produced inflation that we're seeing these automated inflation. Earlier this week, I spoke to Grant Robertson in a news conference, and he also made some comments about inflation at a speech in Auckland, uh, trying to explain where the inflation was coming from, how long it might last. But also I put it to him that some of the reason for this inflation was the utilities pushing through these annual CPI increases. Uh, he argued, pushed back, that that's certainly something that the companies should try to avoid, is having this one-off nasty feedback loop of inflation coming through into inflation generally, simply because these companies are able to push up their prices. They're just doing what they normally do, but it just happens that this year inflation is closer to 6 or 7% than to 2%. But in the process, those 10% of companies who do it that way are reinserting a nasty little strain of inflation into the economy, one that the Reserve Bank can do nothing about but still has to react to. That's why we're seeing the Reserve Bank push up interest rates quite quickly. It's expected by some to push up the official cash rate by a full 50 basis points. 
uh, next month. And uh, that's going to cause some grief for those people who have mortgages. And they're doing it in part to change expectations, to change people's thinking, their price-setting emotions, if you like, about how they increase the prices of their products, or if they're a wage earner, how much they ask for in their wage negotiations. That's all fine and good, and that's how reserve banks are supposed to operate. They're supposed to change those expectations. But in this one case, the reserve bank is facing a bunch of price setters who really have set and forget their price-setting arrangements. And there's nothing the Reserve Bank can do to make them stop. However, there is some pressure that consumers and shareholders and the government can apply. And I think that's what we're going to see as we hear uh, later on in When the Facts Change from Grant Robertson. We also talk to Paul Fuge, who is the head of Consumer NZ's Power Switch operation, which is a a way to compare different electricity and gas deals. And these are the retailers where we're seeing some of this automated price inflation coming through, particularly with the pressure on at the moment from price inflation elsewhere and lots of noise, which allows companies to push up prices and then point to the confusion, to everyone else around them pushing up prices. And before you know it, people have accepted it. Mike talks about how there are plenty of choices that people have when they're looking to buy electricity or gas or sometimes even bundled with broadband and that where often a lot of these automated price setters rely on a type of, I wouldn't call it laziness, but certainly a stickiness where people go, well, I don't really understand this bill. I have to use it. It's a commodity, if you like. The electricity going through the wire is just the same from one company as the next. Or the telecommunications, there's just a pipe and God knows what happens to it down the pipe. I better just pay the price. However, um, there is competition. uh, And certainly in some parts of the economy, you don't have to just accept that automated price increase. That's this week on When the Facts Change how a part of our economy is creating inflation by automation, how that's a problem, and how we could deal with it. Well, first up, we hear from Grant Robertson, who spoke this week about the inflation outlook, how much the government's involved in it, and also what influence the government might have on these robot inflators, companies that automatically push through much higher than expected CPI inflation increases, just like they did every year. He has quite a bit of influence and as as pointing to these utilities to be careful before they pump through that automated inflation. Here's Grant Robertson. It won't um, escape anybody in this room that 2022 is and is going to be a challenging and difficult year for the New Zealand economy, but actually also for the global economy. We went into 2022 knowing that inflation would be an issue because global supply chains have been clogged up for some considerable length of time. Uh, And that was beginning to turn a corner. I um, had taken to 
having a very close interest in, contain in container prices and container availability and had had started to turn a corner. And then because we didn't think we'd had enough drama with a pandemic, a terrorist attack, a volcanic eruption, we thought we'd throw a war in as well, just to make sure that we were kept on our toes. And tragically, the war in Ukraine is having a significant impact, not only on the people who live there, but also on the wider global economy. Confidence has been shaken further supply chain constraints have been added in, and then the obvious addition of, um, particularly for New Zealand, the impact on the global oil price and that's flow, that flow through to New Zealand. The volatility will continue as a result. Nobody in this room can tell you how long the war in Ukraine will continue for. What I can say as a former foreign affairs official uh, is that I think it is unlikely to be short. I think um, Vladimir Putin has gone into this with a goal, and as abhorrent as we all find that goal, he will continue to pursue it. The IMF has indicated that if the war lasts a year, it'll knock a percent off global GDP, and it will increase inflation by about two and a half percent. So that is the risk that we all face. The predictions that most economists had that the supply chain constraints I mentioned before would ease off and we would start to see things get better after the first quarter of 2022. Most economists are now pushing that back to the second quarter of 2022 and potentially beyond. I say this only to highlight the challenging environment in which we're all operating and the fact that the war in particular is well and truly beyond our control, but something that we obviously have to manage. Uh, the upside is I'm extremely confident about New Zealand's resilience because that's what we have shown through COVID but there'll be difficult decisions for us to make. Um, once again, we've had to find uh, resources to deal with short-term issues, and you'll all be aware of the changes that we've made in terms of fuel excise duty and the road user charges and public transport um, funding. We did that because we recognised that there was an immediate spike in cost of living that was causing significant household stress. Um, so we will continue to do those sorts of targeted measures. Um, there's a package coming in on the 1st of April that particularly targets those on low and middle incomes who are the most affected by inflation spikes. But there's other sectors where we're actively looking to deal with price increases. One of those is building supplies. Um, New Zealanders continue to pay a lot more for their building supplies than they should. Equally, um, we've been working with the construction sector on how we can find substitute products where we need to. So if anyone wants to talk about the shortage of jib and so on, I'm very well aware of it. Um, but we are working across that sector to find very practical ways where we can actually get more products in and make things more affordable. One of the things that you touched on was um, inflation. And I'm interested in your view as to um, tracking inflation. Do you think that will reach a peak? reasonably quickly and then drop off. One of the examples that I have is a, an exporter that I was talking to, um, a container from here to China, pre-pandemic, $1,100. Today, $9,500. People in this room are paying for that. Um, it's going to have an impact. Surely it's going to have an impact for a long period of time. I think people, uh, the original forecasts we were dealing with towards the end of last year were first quarter peak. I think probably most economists that I read now are talking about at least a second quarter peak, possibly a little longer. Um, the Reserve Bank continue to forecast inflation getting back to their, their 1% to 3% band by, you know, towards the end of next year or through next year into 2023. So there is, you know, it will last for a period of time, but it will also peak as well. 
I think it is worth noting, you know, from a fiscal point of view, the stuff I'm, I look after, we obviously need to look at that, need to be careful and balanced in our spending, but we also in our system have a reserve bank whose job it is to get inflation to that band over the medium term, and they've signalled their, their course on that. That has its own impacts on households and businesses, uh, but that is the system we have to manage price stability. So. I have no doubt this will be a challenge. The container example is a really good example of what I was saying in the speech. That was getting close to 9,000 before we had the war, and obviously the war is now exacerbating that problem. And so, yeah, as I say, there was some hint that that was turning around. We've got strong demand in the New Zealand economy, and I absolutely acknowledge that's one of the factors that is, that is driving this, because it's banging into those global supply constraints. Um, people will make their own judgments, particularly with things like interest rate rises as to what that means for their spending. Uh, At the same time, New Zealand is not well served by uh, the competitive environment that our supermarkets operate in. Hence the reason why we had the Commerce Commission inquiry and we now have the recommendations from that. What we've signalled is that if that doesn't lead to cheaper prices for people in the supermarket, if it doesn't lead to fairer treatment of suppliers, then we will be prepared to act further. So that's the other end of it. And the same applies, I mentioned building supplies, that's another area. And we've obviously had that in the fuel sector too. So the government's got a role to play in those regulatory measures that also help you know, restrain cost increases. You'll recall that last year we had to go back and recast a few of those and, and smooth down uh, the edges of, of some of the more exciting elements of them. So we have taken that approach and we will continue as we need to to do that. Timing is probably the biggest casualty and the fact is that it just it, everything will get spread out a little bit more and we're no different than anyone else in that. If the supplies aren't here then we can't necessarily meet all the timelines we've got. But I do kind of come back to the comments I made uh, earlier on. I mean, we could, we could reduce demand significantly in the construction market by stopping building state houses. But that, in my opinion, would be the definition of cutting your nose off to spite your face because all we would do is make a long-term problem for New Zealand worse. So, yep, we'll calibrate our program. We might not be able to do them quite as quickly, but giving people the pipeline and the certainty would be the number one thing that was raised with me coming into government. Where's the infrastructure pipeline? I don't know what's happening. I don't get asked that question very often nowadays because there is a pipeline of work that's out there, but we're affected as anybody by cost pressures, how they, you know, the ebbs and flows of the labour market as well. I do think for some of the really big projects we're doing, like the Auckland Light Rail one in the future, Harbour Crossing, you know, we're going to have to think carefully about the kind of specialist skills we need. Um, Every state in Australia is building a tunnel. <laughs> um, and so there's only so many people who build tunnels. <laughs> uh, this, is the, this is the high level stuff and this is the finance get to think about. Uh, so we do have to start thinking about the sequencing of our projects a bit more carefully, working with local government more carefully around what they do. I mean, between the two of us, central and local government, we're responsible for you know, 60 odd percent of what gets constructed in New Zealand each year and so you know, we do have to think about the way we sequence them, but I guess for me, keeping the pipelines important, even if some of the phasing and pacing needs to be altered. Grant, uh, on, on inflation, um, 
How responsible is the government for the inflation, particularly around regulatory uh, inflation? NZTA putting up prices and uh, other issues. Oh, look, I think if you look at the statistics we've seen in recent um, Stats New Zealand releases, the, the bulk of it, well over 50%, I think 70% in the last lot, came from two sources. One was transport, which is oil prices, and the other, which is housing, which was in this case largely building supplies, although it did include local government rates as well, so that would go to your factor. Um, I don't think it's the driving cause of this. We look carefully at any decisions we make that lead to you know, price increases, but equally we have to you know, recognise that there are costs associated with running systems like NZTA, driver registration, etc. What's your message to companies who are looking to put up their prices by the same as CPI inflation, which is running at 5 or 6%, even though their costs may have nothing to do with that? For example, a bunch of utilities. Yeah, look, I think it is important that, that we recognise we are all in this together, that while these are significant inflation spikes, the forecasts remain that we will come down from them through next year. And so if people are looking at where they are now, they might like to look at where they've been and where they're going to. And we've had very low inflation coming into this. I don't underestimate the cost pressures that both individuals, households and businesses have. But obviously we encourage people to look at the you know a two to three year span for what inflation will be. And you said the government is responsible for 60% of the construction work. Could it slow down its um, construction work uh, to try and take some of the pressure off building materials and other construction cost inflation? Just to be clear, that was central and local sure. government um, that I was talking about there. Um, look, the effect of... of um, supply chain constraints means that our work has slowed in, in almost every area, just as it has for everyone else. So we'll, we'll continue with our programs, but as I said in the speech, I think it would be a mistake for New Zealand for us to pull back from building the houses we need or building the public transport networks or roads that we need. It, short-term thinking not balanced against long-term uh, goals is one of the things that have bedeviled New Zealand over decades. And so I, I strive to get the balance right. I recognise it is a balance, but I, I don't think backing off those programmes would be a good idea. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's Kiwi Bank's Chief Economist Jared Kerr with his prediction on what we can expect from the housing market and interest rates for 2024. We've seen quite a correction in housing across the country. So house prices fell from the lofty levels that we saw in 2021. The Reserve Bank has pushed house prices down by design and by lifting interest rates to very eye-watering levels. I think the housing market has found a bottom and I think we'll see house prices rising over 2024 and into 25-26. The housing market will be better balanced. We have seen a, a surge in migrants which is adding demand to the housing market and I think we'll see house prices naturally lift on the back of that surge in migration and uh, hopefully an easing in interest rates later on. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Jared and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. 
Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well, thank you to Paul Fuge from Consumer NZ, who is joining us to talk about inflation and price changes for those people who buy electricity uh, and sometimes gas from their various retailers. Uh, Paul, could you tell us what you're hearing at the moment from consumers about their price changes? Sure. So what's happening with Consumer New Zealand is uh, some of our members are contacting us uh, quite alarmed at the level of price increases they're being notified of. So they're getting uh, notification letters from their suppliers uh, that take effect from 1 April this year. And uh, they're quite upset because some of them are seeing some quite large increases. Tell us, um, what's going on here? What's special about this time around? So there's several things happening, happening simultaneously. So the Powerball is comprised of two parts. There's the lines part, that's the, that's the, the cost of delivering your electricity, and then it's the cost of the electricity itself. Now, for some retailers, both of those costs are increasing. But I must stress that's not all retailers. This isn't across the board. So what's happening on the line side is the government uh, has decided that that will phase out what is called low fixed charges. Around 68% of New Zealand households are on what's called a low fixed charge. And what that means is you get charged 30 cents a day for the, the cost of the lines that attach to your house to, de- to, de- to deliver the electricity. Um, Now, that's going to change because the true cost of delivering electricity to your house is more in line with around $2. Of course, it changes by location, but on average, it would be around $2 per household. Um, So what happens there is you get for low user households, which is most households, you pay 30 cents a day, but you pay a higher variable rate. If you're on the other way around, you're a standard uh, household, um, you pay a higher fixed daily rate around $2 a day or thereabouts, but then you pay a lower variable charge. The government's decided that it's going to phase that out over five years. So each year, the the um, cost of the lines will go from $0.30 cents a day to $0.60 cents a day this year from 1 April, and then $0.90 cents and so on until at the end of year five, it will be around $2 or so. What, what's also happening, though, is the price of electricity itself is increasing for some retailers. Now, this probably reflects the, the high cost of the wholesale market across last year. You may recall we had a bit of a drought and some problems with the gas, and that pushed the, high, the cost of electricity on the wholesale market up quite high. Uh, and what that means is um, for the retailers buying hedges, uh, it's, it's, um, uh, those high costs are now flowing through for some retailers. Um, and so it's been reflected in the pricing changes taking effect from this year. So there's quite a lot of moving parts here. Um, it must be quite confusing for many consumers. And if you were a you know, slightly aggressive retailer who wanted to improve their profits, you could 
possibly take advantage of the confusion and the high inflation elsewhere to, you know, maybe make a slightly higher profit? That's possible. I mean, I don't have the data to to say that one way or the other. Um, I wouldn't think they'd be so avert as to do that. But we are certainly seeing um, some large swings in prices. And I must stress this is not all retailers. So the letters we've, we've been sent by our members show quite a large variation between retailers in terms of pricing changes, um, both in electricity and gas. So some retailers are putting their prices up quite significantly, others retailers less so, and some retailers are advising us they're not putting their prices up at all. So we're seeing a large variation uh, across the different suppliers in terms of their approach to these these price changes. Now, the retailers rely somewhat on a lot of people, you know, not moving. They're sort of stuck in their contract. Maybe they've got a lot on, they, they can't uh, be bothered or don't have the time to be able to compare and jump from the one retailer to the, someone with a better deal. Uh, um, what proportion of the electricity market is sort of um, rusted on, so to speak? Quite a lot. So this is one of the issues we have in electricity is what's called the stickiness of customers. Uh, and it's something we, we strive to tell our, our members and consumers about is that a lot of consumers are paying more than they need to be for electricity because they don't shop around uh, as often as they should or don't check um, as often as they should. So we provide Power Switch, which is a free tool, um, independent um, for all consumers. You don't have to be a consumer member to use it. Um, and that allows people to enter their details and it gives them a good comparison across all different pricing plans. And we encourage people to, to do that at least once a year um, because, as I just said, um, retailers do, do change their prices. Now, this is quite a mysterious area in terms of consumer behaviour around electricity and there is um, a paucity of research around around it, but we are aware there is some research going on. Um, but consumers do act differently with electricity than they do for other products. Part of that is, a, I mean, there's a whole range of reasons for that. A lot of it's confusion. Um, people don't understand it. Um, it's a very important, um, but probably a bit dull, uh, you know, like, like water and sewage. Um, it doesn't excite consumers like other products might. Um, power bills themselves can be very confusing. Um, and there's a thing called um, loss aversion bias, which, which is very strong in electricity consumers, where people are more put off by um, a fear of losing something than by gaining something. And anecdotally, what we hear from um, some of the surveys we do is people are concerned when they change provider that something will go wrong and they'll lose you know, electricity supply. And that kind of overrides um, you know, the, the benefits of saving. Uh, and when that never happens, it's there's rules, strict, very strict rules around that that actually can't happen. Um, but there's a whole lot of other things going on. Um, some retailers are bundling services, which makes customers even more sticky. It's very hard to move away if you've got your internet and your gas also with that supplier. Um, yeah, and so there are contracts and things like that. So electricity in particular is, is unusual in that even when there are cheaper offers on available, uh, we see people being quite nervous to, to move to those cheaper offers. Now, the government is um, removing the um, low user charge, and the idea, as I understand it, was that the um, retailers would pass on the benefits of the you know, extra... Uh, fixed charge in the form of lower prices elsewhere. Is there any sign that's happening? Um, there are some signs that some retailers are doing that, but I have also seen examples where retailers have increased the 
um, the fixed charge, but also increase the variable charge. Now, what's supposed to happen, the expectation from government is that retailers will be neutral on this change, that the change in the pass-through of the fixed charges will be offset, like you said, in the change in the variable charges. Um, so they should be neutral overall in terms of their whole portfolio. Now, this will create winners and losers. There will be some consumers who are worse off as a result of this change and some consumers who are better off. But across the portfolio of their, of their customer base, they're supposed to be neutral. And what worries us is um, some of those people on the losing side are some of the people uh, who can least afford to lose. These are low-income families or low-income households that use low amounts of electricity. So they're going to be the worst affected. The other thing we're seeing as well, um, at the same time, unfortunately, is we're seeing increases in gas prices. So the very worst off people are the people who take supply of electricity and also a supply of gas because they're getting hit by increases in the charges for the networks of both gas and electricity um, just due to changes in the rules and also uh, increases for some of them in the price of electricity itself and the price of gas itself. The price of the gas and electricity have been quite, quite closely linked. Um, yeah, so any, any increases in um, the price of gas flow, can flow through to the price of electricity as well. It's sort of counterintuitive, isn't it? You know, New Zealand has these big dams that we built decades ago. We don't have to pay for the water and the electricity is generated mostly from those dams. Uh, we know that we do have some gas-fired power stations and even um, a really chunky coal-fired power station, which is using up to a million tonnes of coal uh, these days. But... Um, one of the things about inflation uh, globally is that it, some of it's caused by energy, some of it's caused by food, and we've also seen quite a bit of it come from rents in houses. But these utilities, you know, uh, hydroelectric-powered uh, electricity, um, telecommunications, shouldn't, in theory, be affected by some of these inflationary pressures. But yet we are seeing quite a bit of inflation come through and these sort of what used to be network monopolies, sometimes they're regulated, sometimes they're unregulated, sometimes they're private, that at a time of inflation, you do wonder whether some of these companies, they have pricing power and consumers who are quite sort of rusted on can use the opportunity of higher inflation to just sort of sneak through some price increases and margin increases. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for us to say what the motivations of, of various, um, you know, different companies are. Certainly, we see the effects of it. Uh, what's driving that? Uh, we don't know whether that's them taking advantage. I would like to think not, um, but but it may be other things as well. We do know that last year was a, an unusual year in the market and that they had a, a, a bad combination of a dry year. Um, so although we've got hydro, the, the storage is actually quite low, so it does make us susceptible to droughts. So there was a drought and there was also issues with the gas supply at the same time. So both those things combined to, to create very high prices. And I think um, I think you might have done a podcast on this before, but but the um, the market you know doesn't work on a, a basis of what it costs to supply. It basically works on the whatever the marginal generator is, so the the you know the the prices set by the the generator who gets dispatched. And if that happens to be a, a gas fire generator, expensive generator, then all the all the players get paid that amount regardless of, of what actually costs them um, to actually produce electricity. So it's a, it's a bit of an unusual uh, market. Um, 
but that's what we have, and that's what causes these prices to spike um, when there's a shortage. Um, even though, like as you say, there's these quite low cost um, sources of generation. So this this inflation that's coming through, some of it connected to higher energy prices globally, uh, and and in, uh, a sort of a change in, in regulation around you. you uh, fixed user charges. What should consumers do if they want to protect themselves against some of this inflation? Look for other options. There's, there's quite a few things people can do, but unfortunately, um, a lot of those options are you know that people who are more well off can take advantage of. So again, it exacerbates inequality. So for myself, for example, um, you know I'm I'm able to install solar panels. I'm able to purchase an electric vehicle, um, and that has basically shielded me um, from from those price shocks. Um, effectively, I'm buying a hedge for myself against the, those those variances. But of course, not everyone can do that. I'm I'm very fortunate, so that's that's you know that's not uh, that creates inequality in terms of of energy because some people are locked into high energy use because you know they have a house that's uh, not as energy efficient, maybe older. Draftier, um, you know, it costs a lot more to heat their house. Uh, whereas wealthier people tend to have better quality housing. Um, but there are some things people can do. I mean, the the, the most obvious thing I would say uh, is to check your power plan because we are seeing a huge variance across suppliers, and and it and it does make us tear our hair out a little bit at consumer that um, we can see these these cheaper pricing plans being offered. Um, and and people paying more than they need to because they're not aware that they can actually change um, you know to a cheaper plan and they're not taking advantage of that. So it's the easiest thing you can do is to go to um, powerswitch.org.nz and um, spend five minutes entering some details and it will give you a, a, a really quick assessment um, of whether you're paying too much. Um, and you can also initiate a switch from there as well. It makes it easy. But in terms of like um, things people can do immediately as well. Uh, the obvious thing is to try and use less electricity if they can, um, and you can do that without changing. You know your um, your you know the, the danger of that is is you don't want it to be cold, um, so that's that can have adverse effects in terms of people's health. So you don't want people's you know having in cold houses to try and save electricity, but things that people can do is um, the one I'm always uh, um, is obvious is just having shorter showers. It's as simple as that. Hot water is probably the biggest electricity cost in a house in terms of electricity use. If you've got an electric cylinder or even a gas um, hot water, so just shortening your shower um, can save you know over a hundred dollars uh, plus a year just just by you know limiting your shower to you know five minutes or so. The other big one we see is heat pumps. Um, is people don't clean the filters. Just simply cleaning your filters. A video on our on our website of of how you can um, clean a your heat pump filter yourself, that, that drastically improves the performance. And the other thing we see with heat pumps is people have them set up incorrectly. So heat pumps have a non-linear power consumption curve. So a heat pump set at 27 degrees uses twice as much electricity as a heat pump set at around 20 or 21 degrees. Um, they're not designed as people think they're more like a fan heater, so they crank them up because they're cold. They're not really designed to be like that. They're both, both basically designed to sit at sort of 19 to 21 degrees. And they, and, and they um, regulate themselves in that way. But um, we do see people um, unfamiliar with heat pumps, you know, putting them to a high temperature and then getting these shocking, shockingly high power bills. So there's a couple of, of tips there that are probably the biggest bang for buck um, I would advise 
And with this inflation that's coming through and uh, potentially from the, uh, at least initially, the removal of the fixed user charge, uh, the government in 2020 doubled the winter energy payment, but hasn't done it since. Is there a case for the government to do that again? I, th- I think there's, the winter energy payment's a great start. And, and you know, I, th- I think, um, simply put, the way to alleviate energy poverty is to um, just, you know, give people more money to on the electricity bill. It's as simple as that. So the co- because the cost of um, respiratory illness um, is 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 huge. So people living in cold, damp houses, um, you know, forget the, you know, the any, any kind of fairness arguments around whether giving people money is a fair thing or not. Just some pure, purely in terms of economic sense for New Zealand, it, it doesn't make sense to have people in cold, damp houses because it's costing us. Um, you know, a lot more in terms of the cost on our health system. So there's definitely a case for allevi- you know taking immediate effect, especially for the elderly and, and, for, and for for children. Um, so the, the winter energy payment's a good start. What we think would be a good idea if that was better targeted. So um, the problem with the winter energy payment is it's spread across. I think it's around eight hundred thousand households are eligible for it. Um, but, of course, it's a small amount of money over a large amount of people. So it's not enough money to make a real difference to those people who really need it the most. If it was better targeted um, to the, to say, the, the there's, they reckon there's about 110,000 households facing dire energy hardship. That's that's measured by people paying more than 10% of their income on, on energy. So there's around 110,000 households or thereabouts, um, uh, you know. Now, if that was... Energy, energy payment was targeted at those households would basically pay their entire power bill for a year. Now, we're not saying we should do that, um, but this gives you an idea that better targeting of, a, of an amount of money we're already spending would have much um, greater effect in terms of alleviating that harm you're trying to address with that payment. So um, the energy payment is good. It's just, it's just spread across too many people to be to make a real material difference to the people who need it the most. And it's especially true now that those households that are facing the biggest increases as a result of this low fixed charge phase out are exactly those houses. Paul Fuge, the Power Switch Manager at Consumer NZ, thank you very much for joining us on When the Facts Change. Thank you. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank I'm making Kiwi better off. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.